Thanks for listening to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. You can contact the show at twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast and through Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. Good evening. I am warning you right now, if you touch my drum, I will stab you in the neck with a knife. Ain't a fucking. <laughs> Ain't a fucking. Mom! Lower it. I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now. I don't mind you playing it, but lower it. Are we going to straighten out? No, we had a problem. And uh, we tried to do everything we could. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. Nice. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah. John, how's your life, man? Uh, it's a nice day out today. You're a little tired. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah, it's okay. I had a pretty wacky weekend. I did. Too. I had. A, I had a really busy one, man. But I mean, you were uh, on the road. You were beating up that asphalt. I was sometimes for a lot longer than it needed to be. That's for sure. Traffic in Atlanta Saturday was nutty. Comes with the badge. It does. I had fun the night before, though. I know, man. You had a uh, an interesting gig on Derby Weekend, didn't you? I did. Tell tell some of these folks that are maybe not quite as used to the working traveling drummer routine uh, what pleasure you actually had. Oh, um, I played a gig uh, at the Kentucky Governor's Mansion in Frankfurt up there, just outside of Lexington. Blue blood. Yes, sir. Yeah, you're driving, you, you know, you can feel the opulence of farms on each side of you. Like, <laughs> I'm bringing the property value down to just frightening proportions here. It's a lot of money up that way. But uh, we played at this, at the governor's mansion, which was um, kind of a VIP thing. But what was awesome about it, and kind of not awesome, was they had a bourbon bar. And when oh. I say that, I'm not talking about... Some guy with a, a few samples. <laughs> this literally, they had a menu with about one about a hundred different bourbons, and unfortunately, I couldn't partake a great deal because alcohol and me and four limb independents just are we're on vacation with from each other right now. In these not working out too well. <laughs> in this type of situation, I like to use a quote from the wonderful Don, Donald Fagan. We have to endure the tyranny of the disallowed. Hey, man. <laughs> no, man. Everybody up there was fantastic and hospitable, as you expect good Southern blue blood people to be. Even if they hate you, they're being pleasant. No, but it was fun, man. We did it. We just. Did some fun old R&B stuff and all that, but that bourbon bar, Lord have mercy. It was insane. Sounds like a good time overall. You know, I learned that um, there was a lot of the main companies you'd think of had a ton of offerings, like Jim Beam. I think they had like 12 or 14 different bourbons under their little... You know what you officially Heavy. experienced there? You experienced the bourbon version of like endorser only product. Yeah, exactly. That's what you got right there. You got into the endorser vault of goodness. It was good. I did sample a couple that were mighty, mighty, mighty drinkable and I had to walk away quickly. <laughs> well, you didn't necessarily then endure the tyranny of the disallowed. You actually no. They were yeah. very hospitable and would have given me all I want. I'm just, as I stated earlier, I, I we don't need the it's you know the me on drums with a, a buzz. It's just not working out at this point. From a musical standpoint, you know what I thought was interesting about that gig that you were telling me is that you actually played a private corporate style gig with an artist that actually played about half the gig with original material mm. or a third of the gig with original Maybe. material. I, I might be 
I might be stretching that a little bit, but the set list had at least 30% original stuff. Yeah. His stuff is really, really, you know, pop and danceable or, you know, he also did a record that's real kind of Motown-ish inspired. So very accessible, Mm -hmm. um, very, there's a, a familiarness to his stuff. So it's not like going off the rails, you know, we're not playing a bunch of pop dance stuff and then doing like some, you know, rootsy singer songwriter woe is me crap in the middle of it so it, he, he ties it in pretty well nonetheless cool you know rarely yeah. do you get you get the opportunity to do that and i like his songs a lot so it makes things uh it, it, it it's fun to do yeah seldom are you on a corporate uh event where you get to play originals unless your name of the band is chicago or Huey lewis and the news. bill collins that came right. at the time that that uh Phil Collins was doing the uh corporate gig at uh at one of the major hotel venues here in town and I walked in and Nathan East and Chester Thompson were sound checking. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Phil. Yeah. Stuck with those hacks. Yeah, not bad, huh, for a little corporate gig. Man. Probably paid him two hundred and fifty thousand bucks. <laughs> oh, that's a there's a you know, there's a lot of that clearly we we're privy to a bunch of it having been sort of the other act on a lot of this stuff but or opening for them yeah right i mean like you know they're any given year in atlanta earth wind and fire might play the tabernacle six times tabernacle six times you don't even know it open for them man down yeah. there once before this was post sunny you know i don't think I, I don't think it you know it's always that way but there's been times when a band like that playing in town you don't even have any clue oh yeah so they there's plenty of guys are willing to do the corporate thing they get and, paid. and man, let me tell you, those guys brought it like they were playing in front of 20,000. I love it. I as mean, it should be. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Every group that I've been a part of that's opened for any of those major headlining acts like Heart, B-52s, Huey Lewis in the News, Earth, Wind and Fire. Um, God, I'm trying to think who this one girl was. I want to say is I can't remember her. It might have been Layla Hathaway. Aretha Franklin? No, it wasn't her. Oh, uh, somebody bigger. Yeah, so I don't even know who that was you're talking about. But every single one of them played like they were playing in front of 20,000 people. It's probably because yeah. they actually got paid more than they would if they played more in front than of 20,000 people. It, it, it's interesting how, like Huey Lewis, for example, one thing that was crazy about them, we did a lot of gigs with them for a while. Mm-hmm. And they still to this day are kind of in that we're just working musicians and like they they were working musicians for so long before they hit. Yeah. They weren't kids when they hit. They were just working players and they never really kind of let go of that, including Huey. Like when you mm-hmm. are hanging out with them, your peers and they're not so it's there's some really interesting and refreshing things you find out when you get to do some of these shows that uh that one sticks out in particular like these guys kind of they're almost afraid to be like yeah we're rock stars you know because they they know (laughs) the other end of it and so they just kind of view everybody like hey we're all working and we got a gig and granted they're gonna make thousands upon thousands of dollars more but there's some cool things like that you get exposed to which if they're still living in san francisco effectively puts them at the poverty line (laughs) no doubt you know they still have a band house i i know man let me tell you that the time that that we opened up for them at the tabernacle several of those guys ate dinner with us in the uh, green room with the catering man they just hanging out with us yeah that's the same we did a bunch of stuff during the olympics with them and kind of had almost had it not a shared green room but yeah they were in our green room all the time yeah and like horn players hey man let's go to a jam let's go play and it's it's pretty cool most people are you know we we always hear about this standoffish jerk but that's just because that's what sticks in your brain pretty a lot of of people are pretty good oh yeah most of them really, really sweet guys, man. Yeah. Uh, that drummer, uh, that I don't, I don't know what the status is of of Heart right now. I know it's 
it's not good if you <laughs> if Probably you not. read the news. But the uh, drummer that's been playing with him for twenty years or so, uh, Ben Smith, salt of the earth man, sweetheart of a dude. That's good. Yeah, we hung out for about two hours one night. So, but anyway, did he ask about me? He did, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. sorry about that crap. Yeah. Well, you know, I told him exactly what he wanted to hear. You were freaking face down in a gutter. <laughs> Just broken hearts everywhere on the path to that said gutter. I, <laughs> such a pig. Uh, you know, once again, man, it's to be expected with you. I just, man, I, I got nothing. I just, I'm just living, baby. Yeah. Well, not to inflate your ego any more than it God. needs to be yeah. on this, <laughs> but <It's>, anything's <laughs> going to be better than it is <laughs> at the moment. I, I wanted to give a quick shout out to some of our listeners who uh, were singing our praises over that last show that we did about the uh, little. Uh, common problems and our tips to help solve them. You know, we sometimes beat ourselves up a little bit when we're talking about that, thinking, well, that's just something that everybody knows. Well, once again, we were proven to the, uh, I guess, compliment of the show that we are providing a decent service. If we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit, we got some really nice response about some people going, hey, man, thanks for that little tip on the hi-hat or the snare drum thing or whatever. Didn't know about that. Going yeah. to put it, put it to work, man. So, so more importantly, I want to thank the listeners for continuing to be uh, very vocal and responsive because we do like to have a, an open forum for the show. It, it's good. I think it benefits everybody. Most so, definitely. Yeah, so feel free to keep posting on our Facebook page or, or sending tweets to our uh, Twitter account. I do sometimes get wrapped up in like uh you know i can hear the uh i can see the eye rolling of all the veterans right now and it's like man you can't get hung up on that and every once in a while it's like oh well even with you sometimes you're like i didn't know that yeah absolutely that's cool just giving back sharing it's all good yeah and while we're at it wanted to want to go ahead and throw out a few uh uh kudos and thanks for some of our listeners what we monitor regularly where our listeners are coming from and we regularly monitor the different countries as well and i mean it's we're getting some some nice uh listeners in Tegucigalpa. <laughs> saw several of those have come on board over the last couple of weeks don't normally <laughs> did you just make that up? I, i'm not making it up i swear man i'll show you whenever we get finished i'm a pretty worldly guy and i think you just made that up. no i'm not making that up man wow. yeah um we also are seeing incredible numbers in a few major American cities. And and I know that I've said this before, but I would really like for our listeners in the cities of like Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., um, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Hey, hey. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Re- oh, reach gosh. out to us and let us know if if this is a school or if maybe if it's just like a little group, like a drummer's lunch or a drummer's, because there are large numbers that every week listen to the show, you know? And so it's kind of one of those things. I'm just kind of interested on how how it got. St. Louis is another one. Where every week where we see a large concentrated section. That's because yeah. a lot of people there know me and they're just waiting for like, oh, let's see that blowhard <laughs> have a, have walk a, all over himself today. I was going to say have a psychotic meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> They've already seen that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would I would really like to get some response from those areas to, to kind of know what it is. Or who it is that's listening. I, like I said, I have a feeling it's a group, and they all they either maybe sit back and go, "Hey, listen to these guys; it's, it's kind of entertaining," or or let's uh, or like you said, <laughs> wait for them to implode on themselves. <laughs> listen from a you know the old Schadenfreude perspective. But well, I'll know this much: if you're from Oshkosh, let's hang out, man. My wife entire family on both sides from Wisconsin. And that's oh, really? Salt of the earth folk. Well, where, where is that in relation to Milwaukee? Because that's the only thing I know about that. I don't I know about was. Oshkosh. I know it's it's further north, I think, like north central maybe. maybe. Oh, like getting up toward Minnesota? Uh, maybe. Uh, I know her family, her mom's side of the family is all from Lena, which is right outside yeah. Green Bay. Okay. And yeah. the other 
side, the father's side's more uh, Milwaukee. So I don't get, I don't, the landscape of the rest of the state is not my forte. I know Oshkosh is in Wisconsin. How that it well so how, there. how about our topic for the next show will be the topography of Wisconsin. <laughs> Click you, there you're it goes having a psychotic meltdown. I am. Well, John, let's go ahead and we'll talk about today's topic. Okay. Uh today's topic is diversity and flexibility. You better have that if you're going to be in this business. It it certainly helps, especially the flexibility aspect of things. <laughs> oh, uh yeah. yeah. Uh, because you are going to get the curveball thrown at you from time to time, as perfectly illustrated by your weekend this last weekend. Yeah, if you can't, if you can't hit the said curveball, you're going to toil in the minors forever, because they're coming at you left and right. You got that, and we'll go ahead and throw out from the get go that this diversity aspect that we're talking about is not just the diversity that everyone kind of uh, gravitates towards when we talk about being a diverse musician, which is, you know, be able to prepare a whole bunch of, or be able to play authentically a whole bunch of styles, which is something we are going to cover first, Mm -hmm. but there's a whole other section of this diversity that we're going to talk about as well. So right off the get go, Let's go ahead and just quickly discuss the thing that everybody immediately relates to diversity. And that is, if you're going to be a working drummer that does not shy away from phone calls, especially the ones you know where you've got something that's a little outside of your comfort zone, you want to be a diverse musician or a diverse drummer from the standpoint of being able to authentically replicate different styles of drumming. And you want to be able to authentically replicate them from the standpoint to where you're comfortable with when that phone rings, when somebody goes, hey, man, I got this little gig. And what we're doing is we're playing a ballroom dance, like I said, company opening. I did that a few months ago. Mm -hmm. And you got to be able to authentically play all those old dance room styles. You got to be able to play tangos. You got to be able to play bossa novas. You got to be able to play the infamous Foxtrot. There's my little throw out to Jeff Parcaro. Well, relax, fellas. This this gig's probably not coming your way. So <laughs> I'm, and, just, I'm thinking people are freezing up right now. Like, yeah. <gasps> but let me let me say, being able to authentically play a begin or a ballroom rumba, you know, because there's a difference between like a ballroom rumba and then what you would call a rumba from like afro-cuban style of playing Very or bb king's live at the regal right like a blues rumba right. type thing so being able to authentically know what those things are and replicate them of course that's a that's a very important thing to be able to do because you don't want to turn down work when you're a working musician you want to be able to to play these different gigs play them well and then get the call back you yeah. don't want to turn down money well the beauty of Going that deep into, uh, you know, styles and and grooves that you mentioned here is uh, really seriously. You know, the, the, those gigs are going to be few and far between at this point. But the the good thing about it is, if you're thinking, "Oh my God, what if I get that call?" is most of these are not difficult grooves. You know, they're they're right. It's just. You know, make them feel good, all that. You know, there's no, we're not talking about things that are just, you know, some inverted songo, right. blah, blah, you know, in five. You know, none of you know, this is this stuff is just most of it was dance music. Right. You know, it's How, a groove in it. So, you know, having a little handle on it, having a couple notes on a groove. If someone calls it, hey, it, it, it's not over. Don't be overwhelmed by. Right. However, oh, yeah. if you don't know them, though, it's overwhelming. That's a problem. Definitely. Right. Yeah, because it's the type thing that there are a handful of these different styles and feels that have a very distinct pattern. Mm-hmm. And if you're not flexible enough to be able to play those things and then be able to improvise on them a little bit, it can be a daunting task, even though exactly like you said, the majority of these things are not these technically demanding feels no. and grooves. And if we really were to break down a rumba, yeah. 90% of the guys on stage aren't going to know if you're doing it right or not. That's true. Have an idea of it. Be able to make it feel good. Um, but 
I, I, I know Phil's wearing me out on this, but don't get overwhelmed by that. Do some homework and you'll realize it's not the end of the world. You know, you, you if you get a call for that, just right. have a working knowledge of some stuff. Well, you know, to I'm not budging on that, man. Sorry. Well, but the other aspect of that is this. The college is that, boy. You know, we were sitting. <laughs> Listen up, college boy. I got my hands folded in my lap. Go ahead. Speak to me, sir. Father. Put their mind at ease and tell them. It's going to be okay. That this stuff is all obtainable. and, and I just said that, man. Okay. I said that just a minute. I just said that it's completely and totally. You keep harping on it, so now I'm stressing out. I'm going to get that call. No, but the, there's a there's a part two to this, and the part I'm busy two of this, that night. I used I just used a very narrow example of like a ballroom type right. thing. Right. The other the other the other aspect is this: is if you want to take another complete genre, let's say that you're you're just comfortable playing a lot of jazz stuff. You've been playing just a whole lot of of just straight ahead jazz, maybe even some light fusion things. Mm -hmm. If you get called for a, to sub for a a corporate band and it's going to pay you 450 bucks, do you want to turn that thing down? No, You know, and again, so it's the same thing. You want to be ready to play these styles and ready to play the style of music authentically. Mm -hmm. Now, let me also wrap this up with, with another kind of a conceptual thing about this. All right. Something I think that's important to note when we talk about this diversity and the flexibility aspect of it is you want to make sure that, for example, if you are, and you know people that are like this, and I know people that are like this, if you're the kind of player that really puts his flag in the ground and goes, look, I am in this to play nothing but jazz, and you've made a conscious intentional choice that this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to be happy with it. Now, some of this doesn't apply to you, Mm -hmm. but I think where a lot of guys get dark and they get frustrated and they get confused with things is that sometimes they don't make a conscious choice to do this. Do you understand what I'm saying? I sure do. yeah, Yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, I'm kind of known for playing this style of music. You know, and I, boy, I sure do wish that I could play in this corporate group. Or, hey, I wish I would get a call occasionally to play in a church or play some kind of a situation where I'm doing even pseudo-classical type things where you go in and, and you have to play drum set behind an orchestra or even sometimes even jump in the percussion pit, right? <gasps> play, you know, play the occasional accessories lick or keyboard lick or timpani. And then sometimes... I need that bourbon bar right now. Yeah. And and sometimes I think what ends up happening is that they have the intention of wanting to be this diverse, flexible type of musician, but maybe don't work toward that. Oh, I think that's more common than we want to. Right. And so that that's kind of what this thing is, is geared toward, mm-hmm. is you want to make sure that you make very conscious, very mindful decisions and choices on this. And then go with it. Right. Yeah. And I think that that a lot of times, man, that really gets lost. That you have too many people that that really they haven't made this decision of like, you know what, I'm going to be this flexible guy. I'm going to open myself up, up to all this stuff. But then they wonder why they're, either their phone doesn't ring or then they'll go ahead and the phone rings. They take the gig and then just do a crappy job and never get the call back. Terrible. Yeah. So... You got to be honest with yourself. You got to make a mindful choice and a mindful decision that, hey, if I'm going to be an authentically diverse, flexible player, I got to put the time in and I've got to learn how to do this stuff and do it correctly so that I will get the continued repeat calls. Agree. You know, there you go. I'm off my and, soapbox now. Okay, okay, okay. Don't don't twist your ankle or anything getting down. <laughs> um, the the other part of that too is if you really are gonna take the approach of I'm, I'm taking the gigs that come down the pipe, you know, I'm going to, it's in your best interest to have that together because you could be well known and well respected in your circles Mm -hmm. and what you do most of the time. And you're playing to your strengths. If you're a group player, you're playing in a band that does that and you're just killing it. And everyone's like, yeah, 
Now, if you go outside of that and you go do a gig and you're not prepared, there could be a number of people you've never played with that are just like, ah, that guy sucked. Yep. And it's not necessarily that you sucked. It's you didn't put in the time to, to be able to cover ground that might be a little outside of your wheelhouse. Man, I've been there. I've Don't, been that guy. I'm I've saying, been that guy. Yeah, Years man, ago, I've been that guy. You got to be really careful. And they, there could be, and it could be, you know, not that ever like horn players ever have a loud mouth and talk about anybody, but it could be a horn player who doesn't like you playing and tell someone that hey, I sucked. Not that horn players yeah. ever do that. None of the ones that we know. They don't voice their opinions. Yeah, none of the ones anybody that we know. Ever. Even if they suck, they're compassionate and they, they, they're giving like virtual hugs to that person after the gig for months. You know what I say to the rogue trombone player? Just be happy you got a gig. Oh, yeah. How you like that? Just be happy you're there. Again, not that any horn players would ever do that. But just don't let it be an issue by being prepared is yeah. what I'm saying. Then that horn player, if they for some reason went off the rails mm-hmm. and decided to talk about, you know, they're going to say good things. <laughs> John, I, I will go ahead and throw myself under the bus of being guilty of that by by giving you just a brief story. I was called to, this was way, way back in the day. This was back, man, probably in the late 80s. Uh, I got a call to sub in the percussion section for a um, regional symphony, mm-hmm. and man, I gave I gave that gig not the time of day, sir. I just thought, man, I'm. They called me for this thing, and if I just throw my helmet onto the field, so to speak, I'm going to win this game, right? Mm-hmm. Man, I got embarrassed on that gig. I got embarrassed on that gig. I didn't read for crap. Just and I was playing all accessories. Mm-hmm. And just did not do a great job whatsoever. It's a learning experience, man. Brutal but effective. Yeah. Uh, way to turn your head around on that stuff. Yep, absolutely. Now, the next point I want to make about this diversity thing, mm-hmm. it kind of flows right into what we talked about about being diverse as far as like being able to play styles authentically and being able to play different instruments. And that is, aside from being diverse enough on drum set it's also a good idea that as a drum set player that you are flexible enough and diverse enough to at least have a good handle on playing other percussion instruments hey don't shy away from playing shakers tambourines other kind of accessories you have to do that from time to time make sure that you can play that type stuff and especially if you're going to put yourself out there and be available to play in the occasional theater production and or orchestra pit or orchestra situation. You better be able to play some keyboards and you better be able to play some timpani. It, now, I'm not saying you have to go in there and, and be able to play chromatic timpani stuff from Bartok and, you know, mm-hmm. Schoenberg, but I mean, be able to at least play two timpani, be able to tune them and Get yourself in the ballpark. That's See, that very, be, very important. That's where I would be in trouble. Like, if you tune them for me, I might be able to get through something. But I'd be like so preoccupied with tuning, I'd like, the song would be halfway over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to be able to. I used to have a pretty good handle on that, but the, just I haven't done it for so long. It's just like, oh my god. It, it percussion, though. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I've been asked a lot as far as sessions, you know, do some percussion, all that. Less now because a lot of times they're just overdubbing, programming it. Mm -hmm. But I kind of went and I sort of regretted in some level, but not a lot. I just said, I don't do that because my shaker playing is average. And when you start talking about recording and Mm -hmm. three and a half minutes and tambourine playing, like, you know, like fatigue and it doesn't groove or. You're just not laying in it the right way. So I've always kind of shied away from that. But have I lost work because of that? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I I understand that. I I think that that overall, though, kind of what I'm getting at regarding this type of stuff is Mm -hmm. that you don't have to be Lenny Castro. Right. But you do need to be confident enough in it, especially on a live gig. If you have the, let's say, let's say you're playing an acoustic ballad and you got the, 
nervous Nelly or the panicky Pete that's up there singing, and he turns around and he's like, "Man, can you just give me something? You can pick up a shaker and and authentically play it through Dude, there." I'm such a dick. I'd like do the <laughs> hit the wind chimes and go. There you go, pal. I, you know what I like <laughs> about that story? The, the, that short story is that you carry wind chimes. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> well, now I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that. That it's going to be provided? Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, in a perfect world, if Nervous Nelly turned around and did that, I, I would, for some strange reason, have wind chimes and be an asshole and just be like, <laughs> Every, there you go, man. Now, part two of this is let's, <laughs> let's talk about some otherworldly drummers. So, <laughs> With better attitudes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that work. <laughs> yeah, part Part two of this thing, as far as like being diverse on playing other instruments, mm -hmm. let's go outside of the percussion family. These next folks that we want to talk about should be examples for everyone from a standpoint of looking outside of the percussion family, especially from the standpoint of being diverse enough if you want to write or compose mm -hmm. or possibly produce things, and in some cases, actually play live on gigs. First guy I want to bring up. How about this slacker named Jack DeJanet? He's probably better than three quarters of most piano players that we know. He's a he is a professional pianist. Imagine if he just focused on drums. He'd yeah. probably be pretty good. <laughs> he That's gets what distracted by about piano. These guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean I mean it's kind of he's just so yeah. Anyway. So there you go, Jack DeJanet. Incredible. A professional piano player has has an, an album, at least one, if not two, where he does nothing but play piano on it. Gary Husband's another one. Yeah. That is a fantastic Keyboardist, piano yeah. player, keyboard player. How about this guy that we talked about last week, Steve Jordan? Yeah, he's... You know, when he got into producer mode, I think that really motivated him because he just kind of... He, he sort of almost expressed, like, I see a bigger picture if I... Because yeah. started playing bass and guitar and... Mm -hmm. And clearly, his career has blossomed by way of that. I think I think that's a big help, like the MD stuff he does. Yeah, you know that that kind of stuff. That's that's some worthwhile uh, worthwhile exploration there, yeah. as far as so Steve Jordan that. bass and guitar, probably yeah. keyboards too, more than I likely. Imagine. And then you got his buddy, friend of ours, Charlie Drayton. He mm. man, this this guy, of course, is a is a great drummer. Sometimes even gets confused for Steve Jordan. Man, he's played probably as many tours on bass as he has on drums. Definitely. Great, great bass player. You ever heard of a guy named Dave Grohl? Um, wasn't he in Pearl Jam? Yeah, he sure was, man. No, no, he was in... Alice in Chains. No, he was in Stone Temple Pilots. <laughs> right? Yeah. This Dang. guy, man, he plays a little guitar, sings, writes a couple of tunes. Goes to the bank a lot. He <laughs> he does go to the bank a lot, and he is the de facto rock and roll acceptor of all awards. <laughs> That's true, you know. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's been man, and 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 he's having fun. Yeah, he is good for him. Uh, another guy. That I don't was, know if he had that much fun in his first band. He, you know, maybe on one level, but on there was plenty of reasons to not have much fun isn't it interesting that most people know him originally of course from that group but that group was only around for about four or five years in the public eye, yeah in the sure. public eye and that he's been with his current group now for 20 years this is mind-blowing yeah another guy that we talked about last week mm -hmm. what about a dude named Stuart copeland yeah man look at that guy composer, composer. Yes. Keyboardist. Plays a ton of percussion instruments and plays them well. Done a few movie soundtracks. So there's there's another guy. There's a guy that the scene he came out of, it, it's mind blowing because most of his peers mm -hmm. in what the police in the scene the police came out of were like they could barely play their drums. Yeah. A lot of punk rockers and just he, he's had a he's had a pretty serious background. I think he's also motivated in and and I don't think he was as together with a lot of instruments uh, at that point. But you know he did he did some soundtracks that I think really got him into that 
was that Rumblefish, that movie he did, that was some really creative, interesting stuff. He did. I Didn't he do The Outsiders also? You know, that, that would make sense because I think it's the same yeah. director. Mm-hmm. And then he's done a host of uh, of like features. Like he did a thing called The Rhythmatist. Is that like where he does it with the orchestra and all that? I think so. friend of ours actually played bass with him, man. Joe a, did. Yeah, he? he sure did. On a, on a gig down in, uh, I believe it was Savannah. It's either Savannah or maybe like Charleston, South Carolina. He had a I think I just saw he's going back on the road again. Oh, uh-huh. Joe. I did too. Hi, Joe. Yeah. Uh, he listens to the show, so he will hear this. Good. Miss yeah. you, man. Yeah. Um, how about speaking of production, a dude named Butch Vig. Fine drummer. Yeah. Got a direct correlation to uh, Dave Grohl as well because he produced that, uh, I think it was the first and second. Or not the first or second, but the the two popular Nirvana albums. Didn't he do Nevermind and In Utero, where he produced both of those? That sounds right. Yep. Got a little band called Garbage. It's going out on the road again here in a couple of weeks. And uh, and then you got a whole host. I didn't want to leave out the drummer vocalists. Yeah, that, that can Being be a able real to advantage. Yeah. You know, the other thing uh, about the vocalist is... Aside from, of course, making yourself extremely marketable, the other thing from a pure musician standpoint is it sure does help your just overall musical ear of being able to hear things, hear what sounds right, mm-hmm. you know. But it will give you a chance also to speak musically to other players in the band. And some of these hacks we're talking about are guys like Phil Collins, Don Henley, Levon Helm, and of course. I can't let this go. <laughs> Pete, Peter Jones is going to love this one, man. Gilmore from Triumph. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Gilmore has fight gotten a good fight. That cat has gotten more press on this show than in the last year than he's probably gotten in the last 30. <laughs> so, now I've got to say this, we got to get in touch with this guy so we can get him on the show. Okay. Get a little Gilmore, a little Canadian love. I want him to bring his whole Kit circa 1984 yeah. and set it up. Concert times? I'm Imperial Star, Silver Mist. I yeah. remember that nonsense. Man, he can sing high. That, those two. Man, what is it in the Canadian water that makes these power trio singers sing just high as balls, man? I think they had a, 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 a long since... Shut down boys' choir <laughs> in Canada, and it and unfortunately a few of these guys were recruited to be the Sopranos. And we gotta we gotta have a contest where we put Getty Lee, Rick Emmett, and Gil Moore together and have a high singing contest. Where'd he go? <laughs> Dogs are like perking yeah. up, like what? I know <laughs> it's amazing. So anyway, we just wanted we wanted to throw out a whole host of of and there's more, there's way more, but man, yeah, right here in town. Did you see Tom's video the other day? Amazing, Tom Knight, who is a, just an absolute monster drummer and exceptional fella. The guy's a painter and a voiceover artist. Come on, and, and no slouch at either of those. Yeah, pretty fine videographer too. He's one of just those people. Like, uh, we, let, let's just stop talking about his talent, so I can at least get past this story without getting frustrated. Anyway, he put a video up. He's like, I always loved "Runaway" by Bon Jovi, so he just records every part, including vocals with harmony. Just and it's unbelievable. It's it's unbelievable. Like, you know, that Talented guy can guy. cover. You talk about covering some ground. He could do anything you'd ever want. Talented guy. Yeah. Really good stuff, man. If you if you can, um, you can go to one of our Facebook pages and we're friends with him, Tom Knight with a K. Yep. And just check this video out. It's so ridiculously fun. It is. He was a drummer for TLC for several years. Yep. Yeah. He's just here to taught forever at a school here. Um and uh just a monster. But yeah. man, it's a it's a fun video because you just see like Talk about diverse talent and yeah, putting it all together. Yeah. Um, I want to go ahead and jump down on the outline, mm-hmm. uh, John, and talk about also having a lot of different equipment, being diverse in your equipment choices. And there's a bunch of different reasons for this. Now, we're not saying 
run out and spend 15 grand on a whole bunch of gear. Unless you're sending it to me. Yeah. And unless, by the way, if you have the means, then sure, it's it's totally fine. Right. But something that I've kind of discovered that you and I have done is that over a period of 20 or 30 years, we have kind of cobbled together this rather extensive list of gear. And it's sure, it's drum sets and snare drums, but it's other things as well. Mm-hmm. And... You can you can think of it in a couple of different ways. Of course, yeah, you know you're going to have a whole bunch of different snare drums for different vibes for studio sessions and live work, right? Same thing, same thing for drum sets. It's good to have different drum sets. Good to have different drum sets at different tunings for different things because mm-hmm. naturally, man, I've got my little fives and or Gretsch. Uh, bebop drum set with the 18 inch 12, 18 12 14, right? Those things don't go out on the rock gigs, right? They don't. No. But you got like a little cannon, man. Yeah, <laughs> I hear that so many times. I'm like, it, no, it sounds like a little pistol, right? A derringer. So you got to have that stuff to play the the authentic straight ahead stuff. Mm-hmm. And then likewise, I don't take my rock my twenty two, you know, thirteen sixteen out on a piano trio gig. So now that's that's the most common and most graphic example. But let me give you go with me on this, John. Hey, man, okay, I, I'm I'll shut up. Over a period of like 20, 25 some odd years, I have accrued a rather extensive list of, say, accessories and classical percussion things as well. I've got several different styles of, say, triangles. Mm-hmm. I've got several different styles of tambourines, headed, unheaded tambourines. I've got things like slap sticks. I've got vibra slaps. I've got a whole bunch of different shakers. I have orchestra bells. I have that kind of stuff. Now, you're probably going, well, how often are you playing vibe or slap and orchestra bells? You mean the people listening? Yeah, the people that are listening. And I, you. No, nah, I'm not. I'm, maybe. I know you just you, you just have to have that stuff yeah. just in case. Right. It's well, good. here's the thing. If you use them once a year and it's a gig that you don't have to turn down or have to go out and spend a whole bunch of money to be able to do this. If you kind of accrue it over a time, over a period of time, using it once a year pays for itself. I mean, do I have that many Baron gigs where I have to go out and get an Irish Baron and play? Maybe once every year and a half. But at least I've got it, you know, and I can do it. And the other aspect is this, John, and I know you will sign off on sign off on this. Hey. Occasionally, man, you might get a call from somebody that wants to rent it. That does happen. Sometimes the rental on something like that will, especially if it's over a period of of a few days, sometimes the rental will pay for the instrument. When I was doing a lot of rentals, yeah, um, it, it was nice. Except that part where they're like, hey, man, we need a really nice Gretsch kit, and do you know any good drummers? <laughs> or... <laughs> Yeah. No. Good luck. Point point made. <laughs> yeah, but you get the vibe of that whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Is is that the accrual of instruments over time, man? It does pay for itself. Again, like I said, you know, I've got hand, I've got congas, I got bongos, cajones, all kinds of different things like that. <laughs> that that you will get calls to play. For you know, to, to use that stuff from time to mm-hmm. time. I, I have occasionally in my studio downstairs have gotten the, the, the request to overdub percussion on that sure. on different, you know, I'll go ahead and, and play a drum track. And somebody goes, you know what? It'd sound good on that. Why don't you play some bongos? Okay. Tambourine. Yeah. Or... Tambourine shaker. Yeah. It, you know, I buy and sell a lot. So things come through like, you know, you buy a kit and they have a bunch of accessories and all that. And I have, a pretty good stash of things like, oh, that cow, cowbell sounds exceptionally good. I'm just going to keep it. Yeah. That kind of thing. So it, it kind of accrued that way. I don't use it much, but you got if it. I did, yeah. and every one of them sounds incredible, at least it's there. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, known, I've known guys that would go out and buy some things, and then all of a sudden, you know, over a period of time, it'll be like, you know, man, I'm not using these crotales, or I'm not using whatever, you know, these wind wind chimes and they'll sell it for pennies on the dollar and then it seems like every two time, weeks later yeah two weeks later they get a call yeah <laughs> you know that same theory applies to like 
you have a, a really nice vintage Ludwig kick drum and 13-inch tom, but no floor tom. Yeah. Two years, you're waiting for it, you sell it, there's three of them on eBay next week. Exactly. Dang it. Yeah. But that that is that is true, man. Um, if you come across some good sound and stuff like that, and you don't have to sell it to eat. Keep it. Stash that away, and you never know. I mean, the the chances that you will use it again are huge. Mm-hmm. You will. You will eventually use it again. Uh, John, I want to finish up this uh, topic by talking about a couple things regarding flexibility. And I'm going to go take a nap now. <laughs> we, one of these we've talked a little bit about before mm-hmm. in the past, but I want to kind of tie these two together. Um, you and I both know musicians that are not just, you know, not just drummers, but, but play other instruments. We're going to call them conceptually inflexible. And what I mean by that is we know folks that have literally unconsciously made these, made these decisions or have kind of unconsciously made themselves unflexible from the standpoint of, or inflexible from the standpoint of like, I'm not going to let that guy tell me that I'm playing too loud or playing too soft. I'm not going to let that guy tell me that I'm rushing or dragging. I'm not going to let that guy tell me that I'm playing too much like Jack DeJanette. I'm going to impose my will mm-hmm. on these guys. And one of the things that sticks in my mind about guys that are like that is that there's some sort of personality-driven thing that they have attached these these inflexibilities to. Mm-hmm. It's very dangerous to let these musical styles and concepts become a part of your personality. Because essentially what happens is is if you're one of these guys that's like, man, playing these drums and, and being able to play exactly when I pl- what I want to play and as loud as I want to play, regardless of what anybody says, it's my freedom, man. It's part of me being me. That's a very dangerous line to cross over. No doubt. And, and, and yeah, no matter how together you are, as a player, sometimes just that attitude alone is going to just take you out of the picture for that particular person and their hiring right. in the future. Well, unless you literally win the lottery and all of a sudden you are the Elvin Jones that finds the John Coltrane, mm-hmm. you're going to be persona non grata with 99% of the hiring musicians true and and so it's just really important that you are flexible enough with your musical concepts to where you don't take personal affront to when someone tries to communicate with you that hey we need to take this in a slightly different musical direction than you're currently playing i mean that is Man, that is, I know we're kind of dovetailing this in with some other stuff, mm. but man, not tying your personality to these things and being flexible enough to shift on the move and not be personally offended. Woohoo! Man. Really yeah, that's a good place to be. I kind of, I remember a conversation in a, back in the day, you know, we all used to kind of hang out in drum shops. That was sort of like, where we'd congregate mm-hmm. and spend our Saturday afternoon or whatever and just chat about this and that. And I remember a, a, a rather established player in St. Louis was, we were all hanging out one day and this younger guy who's kind of has a lot of potential comes in and he's like, yeah, man, I just heard, you know, Tony Williams talking about, you know, like drums are meant to be hit. You know, people say I play loud, but they're meant to be hit, man. And, you know, sometimes you just can't lay back. You got to do your thing and all that. And that's where I'm at. And this wise old sage said, yeah, drums are loud. And uh, you're not Tony Williams. And this kid was like, uh, I was like, Mm -hmm. that's really the, the, the crux of it is you can't hang your hat on some alien slash legends mindset and think it's going to apply to your everyday 
working world. You know, just because Tony Williams said drums are meant to be loud, a lot more people are going to look past his volume than yours. That's exactly Sorry. right. Well, That's man, how it is. The, the underlying theme of a lot of this stuff that we talked about today is you better think about and then make mindful, conscious decisions and choices. Mm-hmm. True. You know, because a lot of this stuff is is un, these unconscious choices that you think this is the way that it should be and the way that it ought to be. And, you know, music biz don't care about your opinion on that. That's exactly right. So and don't think for a second having it all together style wise and even playing appropriate that you better be showing up on time. Yep. And not being a social jackass. Well, that's the last. That's the last point I wanted to make, and mm-hmm. that's that. That's the the flexibility versus inflexibility. I'm of, a mind reader. Yeah, of, I mean an outline reader. <laughs> of of personality mm-hmm. choices. We've talked about it before, a long time ago. That was. I think that some of this was in our first within our first eight to ten shows. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of outlining the importance of being flexible with your personality and your demeanor and you really can't overstate it enough but you better be flexible with everything from rolling with the punches with anything that comes with gigs regarding like hey we got to change this we got to do this people asking you to do certain making certain musical choices or musical changes man just being flexible and being a good person when it comes to gear issues even Mm-hmm. You know, if you have problems with this, that, or the other, with part of your get, be flexible, man. And and you know, if this part of your rider didn't get fulfilled, it just, man, it didn't happen. And there's not a lot you can do about it. But right. you you better better work with a smile on your face. And if it's something that you can control in the future, learn from it and then move forward. But boy, I'll tell you, the old inflexibility of not being able to roll with the punches and integrate into certain situations, man, will get you fired faster than almost anything. No doubt. No, no one's saying you have to like those things. No one's saying you can't be upset about them and you got to, you know, that's all, all good. You know, I mean, look, this stuff is going to happen. If it pisses you off, manage it. It's and, in the and way more, you handle and, it. Yeah. And more importantly than that, I think what sometimes is overlooked, but while we're preaching flexibility and all that is, it's okay to take stock in the scenario too. Mm-hmm. If this band leader continues to continues to pull this crap, like you're supposed to be fed and you weren't, or it it suddenly is a continuous gig instead of having breaks, you know, maybe you needed to say, "I'm not interested in working for this guy." That's not being inflexible. Be flexible on that gig and get through it, so your reputation doesn't suffer. But you can in turn and diplomatically turn down work from someone if, if this, yep. if these things are so not putting yourself in that position again is on you. It's actually, then it's an informed choice, right? And a wise choice to often, mm-hmm. but it's still on you, man. If you continue to take gigs from someone and they're just working your last nerve with overlooked details or, you know, ridiculous expectations, there's a point where you got to say, I'm not going to do that. As opposed to getting to the point where you just show your ass and, and that's all what anyone's talking about or thinking about. Yeah. They're not, most people aren't going to be thinking about those four gigs you were taking advantage of. They're going to think about the time you blew up or you cussed out somebody or you refused to do something or you packed up and left. Don't make those mistakes, man. Be, be mindful of, the environment you agree to and don't get bit by it continuously and then in turn get bit by it because you blow your gasket. Oh man, there, there are things that are outside of anyone's control. You can have, if you're doing an outdoor gig, you can have weather changes. What are you going to do? Yeah. And sometimes man, even, you know, I pick on a band leader, but sometimes a band leader is just that's shoved in their face and what are they going to do? Say no. Yeah. Hey, we want continuous. You better do it or you're not going to get paid. Well, that sucks, but you know, you just deal, man. Don't allow yourself to be taken advantage of over and over and over and over again because then it's that old theory yeah. of 
we don't even need to repeat it, but be, you know, handle your business, man. Is it too early for me to say this is my favorite show? I like it because that means we can wrap it up. <laughs> we had not even got to our final segment of the day. Let's do it. All right, guys. Well, we hope we helped you out with that. That That's a, a topic that I think is very important, especially from the aspect of maybe talking about a few topics that you're maybe not quite as consciously aware of. Maybe we made you a little bit more aware of them today. Overall, our global thing is this, is just be very aware. Make conscious decisions. Make conscious choices on this kind of stuff. Don't sit there and assume that other people know exactly what you're thinking and what you want to do. It's very important that you that you have these type of conscious thoughts, you process them, and then act on them so that you can then be the diverse and flexible musician that you think you might already be, but mm-hmm. you're not. So anyway, we're going to go ahead and finish up the show. We are due, John, because it's been weeks upon weeks of having a great underrated drummer. I'm going to go first today. I like it. My guy is a wonderful New York jazz drummer by way of Omaha, Nebraska. It's a guy named Victor Lewis. It seems like, John, that he has not been quite as active on the scene over the past, I don't know, 10 or 12 years as he was, especially back in maybe the 80s and the 90s. Um, yeah, there's some, he had a lot of pretty high-profile gigs. and Oh, yeah. MD was all, all into him. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about some of these high-profile gigs. Just a okay. quick backstory about Victor Lewis. Victor Lewis, um, originally from Omaha, Nebraska, uh, got his musical education at the University of Nebraska. And like any uh, forward-thinking, aspiring jazz musicians, moved to the New York area back in the 70s. And uh, <clears throat> one of his first big gigs was with Woody Shaw. And I think that's probably where I became aware of him. Um, some guys were throwing around some of his, probably trumpet players throwing around those Woody Shaw albums, like especially Stepping Stones, that live one that was done at the Village Vanguard. And then yeah. there was a record called Woody Three in particular as well that Victor Lewis is just all over. Um, those That's some good listening for you to check out some, some early uh, Victor Lewis. That's from the mid to late 70s, maybe like 76, 77, 78. Of course, you get to hear the great Woody Shaw on there as well. Um, and then also... Some of my favorite recordings of Victor are from the mid and late 80s. He had a long association also with Stan Getz. Um, there's two records in particular that I like of his, uh, of Stan Getz's that, that Victor's on. One is called Anniversary and another one is called Serenity. Uh, both excellent albums. I think not only is Victor doing some of his best playing on there, but I think that's some also Stan Getz's best playing. As well, they really stretch out on there, and some of the rhythm section on those uh, records. Victor Lewis had a pretty good association with uh, some of the players, like uh, uh, Kenny Barron, the mm. pianist that's on some of the Stan Getz stuff. I love Kenny. Yeah, Victor's on a lot of Kenny Barron's records, also, especially in the '90s. Uh, he did a lot of work with him, um, and also, <laughs> just as a side note, there is a a concert, a video that uh, Stan, Getz, Stan Getz did, I believe, around 1990 or 91 uh, in the Paul Masson Vineyard. It's an outdoor gig. I bet Victor was flexible on that to play outdoors, no covering. Probably was. Yeah. And uh, he, he played... Not, uh, he had liquid <laughs> comfort to get him through it. What's the old Paul Masson... Uh, Outtake commercials. We sell no wine before it's time. <laughs> Orson Welles. Ah, oh, the French. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that, isn't or- that their tagline? <laughs> yes. But I don't know how that... Yeah. I, I can't remember what I have for breakfast. For some reason, that came to me. Oh, do yourself a favor, everybody. Go to YouTube and check out the outtakes of the Orson <laughs> Welles drunk Paul Masson I'll uh, do videos. That. Yeah. Is it on par with... The Colonel Sanders. Oh, it's actually stuff. better because oh, he, cause nice. he's, he's just so out of he's, it, man. He's yeah. pretty brilliant. Too. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so that that's my pick, man, is Victor Lewis. And, and also one other quick thing, Victor Lewis, I think probably something that might contribute to him not being quite as visible, Victor Lewis has been on staff uh, in the jazz department at Rutgers University for the better part of 15 years now. All right. Yeah, so he's, he's probably got a bit of his time taken up by dealing with – young bucks trying to make it through that program up there. 
Man, speaking of Rutgers, yeah. my nephew is in library science, and mm-hmm. he, out of grad school, he he had to do some kind of internship, and one of the options was uh, Rutgers Jazz Archives. Mm. Now, I didn't know this, but they have the largest jazz archive of anywhere in the world. Makes sense, doesn't it? It makes a lot of sense, but for some reason to me, Rutgers, like, there's a lot of things about Rutgers you forget. Like, it's a state school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like you just sort of I've always kind of like accidentally lumped them into like some of the Ivy League and the Northeast private school thing just because it's not the University of New Jersey, which no one would go to. Right. (laughs) So they're smart. Jersey fellows are smarter than we think. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's right there. It's access to the city and all that. And I mean, clearly someone in that library was a jazz fan and started that on its path to being the biggest collection but i would love to kind of get my hands on some of that stuff man out between uh rutgers and william patterson you got pretty good faculty uh, on board if you're in jersey how could you not yeah that's just like boston too there's just you know new york even more so though yeah wow who you got john my guy, um, some of you will probably be like, oh, I don't think he's underrated, but in a lot of ways, I think he is. My guy is uh, Richie Hayward from Little Feet. Yeah. And when I say underrated, in my opinion, you know, he was never framed as the a drummer's drummer in, in just that regular, just lauded as all mm-hmm. that kind of thing but in a lot of ways he maybe he should be because i mean he's just groovy as a git he definitely kind of has his own thing in a way which i always think kind of puts some of those guys up in that echelon and uh he you know he wasn't a, you know he was it, his band is not it wasn't the 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 it wasn't like he was in you know, Led Zeppelin or some just yeah. huge thing, like a loyal following, a great, you know, a lot of musicians and all that love him, but he's not on the edge of everybody's tongue like maybe he should be, in my opinion, because he's just greasy and groovy and um and, and all that. And he did a lot of sessions, but he wasn't known as a session player, really. Right. So some of those things that put you in that higher profile drummer's drummer thing, it never really kind of came together. But I mean, this guy, man, the Little Feet catalog alone, in my opinion, just solidifies his worthiness of praise. But he also, um, you know, he did a lot of stuff, man, like really crazy diverse. Like it'd been a Buddy Guy record, and then Joan Armatrading, and then mm-hmm. you know he'd be over there doing something with Robert Plant, right? And he, I mean, he just really had this incredible musical thing. But at the same time, a lot of them were calling him because of his thing. Yeah, which I think is a, a a real testament, and sometimes we overlook with that guy. I think largely because his band wasn't gigantic, and he was committed to them and remained loyal to them. It maybe he didn't get his due. That if you go back and listen, you're like, oh man, he should have got his due. He he's a very good blend man of a lot of great drummers. Kind of. I mean, in other words, when I think of Richie Hayward, he certainly had his own personality, but I think. What that came from was this blend of of a whole bunch of great drummers. Yeah, I mean, man, he's almost like a Keltner and Levon Helm and Percaro mix. That's good. Yeah, well, he's got that New Orleansy kind of thing yeah. happening too. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about it, you know. You got to figure. I think he grew up in Iowa, like some Midwest, you know, yeah, just sleepy part of the country, and you got to figure, man. His record collection was probably pretty solid growing up because you hear those diverse influences and he's playing his butt off. So he definitely was exposed to some stellar stuff early on. Um, And, you know, I'm kind of partial to drummers from the Midwest. I mean, they're they're okay, man. Man, your, your, your new nickname is Americana John. (laughs) (laughs) Call me Dave Cobb. (laughs) All right, man. Well, good good choice, man. Excellent yeah. choice. All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. As always, we love it when you stay in touch with us and when you interact with us. I mean, that's 
that's one of the things about this show is we want to be an open forum. So as always, feel free to reach out to us. You can email us at our Gmail account, drummersweeklygroovecast at gmail.com. You can always interact with us at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummersweeklygroovecast. And always follow us and tweet us at Twitter. We are at dwgroovecast or twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast. New shows every Monday. You know you can find us on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, basically any podcast app on your phone you can find us. If not, if you have trouble finding us, please email us. Let us know. We will get that straightened out for you. Uh, again, we appreciate your listenership. And uh, when you're in iTunes, if you're an Apple folk, please swing by our page and leave us a short review on iTunes. It really helps us out if you could just... Click on those five stars, leave us a short written review. It helps us relate better to other podcasts so people can find us and listen to us. Share the love. Let all the folks that you love, even the people that you don't love, let them know about us. We want them to hear us, hear what we have to say. We appreciate it. You guys can have fun talking about what idiots we are. Right, John? Right, Americana John? Yeah, sure. (laughs) All right. Okay, folks, until next week, we will see you then. Bye-bye. Love you, bye. Bye.